Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. A bonus episode! I hope I didn't blow your ears off with that one. Anyway, this is a really cool bonus episode, and it has, like... Almost next to nothing to do with agriculture. Anyway, when I first thought about doing this podcast, I had to practice the interview skills, practice the, the setup, all the gadgets that I have, like Skype and the microphone and all that jazz. So I did what any normal person would do. I called my best friend, Ben Hall. I was like, hey, Ben, can I interview you? He was like, yeah, sure. So do it. So I interviewed him and it turned out really well. So I've known Ben for about 28 years. Our dads were best friends. We're best friends along with our friend Matthew Ben is somebody that I've grown up with. No matter how far away we were, we went to different middle schools, different high schools, different colleges, but we've always been best of friends, which has been really, really, really awesome. Ben is the only person that I know that is living his childhood dream right now. He is a director in Hollywood. He's filmed two films now. One we're going to talk about that comes out very soon. He's worked on countless films, big budget films, big TV shows. He has worked with... Jake Gyllenhaal, Amy Adams, Zach Galifianakis, um, Andrew Garfield, Tom Ford, the director and fashion designer. He's worked with a ton of people. Not to even overstate that he's met Steven Spielberg, John Favreau, a bunch of really cool people. He has got an awesome career that he's doing. He's working in Hollywood, trying to make a name for himself, and he's pretty much succeeding, which is really, really cool. We're going to talk during the interview about why he got started filmmaking, how he got started, what he wants to do, things he's worked on. And we're also going to talk about kind of his his movie, Night and Today, which we'll link in the description of this episode and everything, kind of how it relates to Hurricane Michael and how we had that happen a few months ago. Again, this was recorded months ago when we were just trying to figure out how to do a podcast. Ben's a great storyteller. Really hope you enjoy it. Check out his movie, Night and Today. We'll have the trailer and everything linked below. And if you're on Amazon, his first movie... The Man from Outer Space is actually on Amazon right now if you want to go check it out. 
Anyway, this is the bonus episode with my best friend, Ben Hall. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Ben, for being on. Best of luck. Thanks. All right, well, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. My name is Trevor, and we're going to have a very different episode today. We've got my best friend, Ben Hall. Say hi, Ben Hall. Hey, my name is Hall, Ben Hall. So, Ben, I guess you could say you have the unfortunate experience of being a best friend with me for how long? Too long, to be quite honest. Uh, 25, what, how old are we? 27, 27 years is, uh, that's quite a grueling time period. I mean, we're pretty old. Our, our dads were friends, we're friends, our friend Matthew is friends, although I don't even know if he listened to podcasts. I mean, he's got an IQ of like 400, so I'm some sure he see, has listened to them. Some see this generational friendship as a blessing. I, I and, and I think Trevor can agree, see it as a curse, so it's, it's insane. I mean, we, we can't get away from each other. Like, like I live on the other side of the country, and we we can't get away from each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 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 Ben grew up in Marion, Florida. I grew up in Bluntstown, Florida. Our dads were friends. We were friends. So all right, Ben, let's talk about movies. I know that's kind of not what our podcast is about, but you grew up liking movies. We're gonna get to you being in Hollywood, you making movies in a little bit. But right now, tell me where that all started from. Like where your passion for movies started. Was it Star Wars? Was it Indiana Jones? What kind of started that fire? So I don't even know if you know this, Trev, but when I was three and four years old, I would watch a movie and then I would completely reenact it for my parents. I'd make them sit down and for a good hour or so basically hit all the highlights of a movie. I would use my action figures as the wide shots and then no joke, I would play the close-ups. So I understood the differences between shots and how things are cut and why they're cut and why they're cut for, you know, a... A dramatic purpose and so I was doing that at three and four years old and um, I was always just really future driven growing up and so like when I was six and seven I thought I wanted to be an architect I loved houses I loved architecture but it became very clear to me that I wasn't very good at math and I didn't draw very well either it wasn't for me um, and then yeah you know just you mentioned Star Wars and Indiana Jones I mean classic films that uh, you know all of us grew up on and, and I was no exception and, um, you know, I think in the back of my mind, I just could see things so visually, so clearly all the time. And I just I thought in movie language. And just one day it dawned on me when I was watching um, the special features for probably the worst of the Lucas Star Wars films, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Uh, <laughs> I was watching the behind the scenes on that and it just clicked. I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do when I grow up. I want to direct movies. From that point on, that's that's all I've done. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm, I'm sorry if this embarrasses you a little bit, but your room growing up, I still know, and it's still probably untouched. Star Wars memorabilia everywhere, a picture of George Lucas, Steven Spielberg stuff everywhere. And you had one of those bedrooms where when you walk into it, you're like, I think this dude likes movies. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely that kid. Yeah, I definitely lost Star Wars posters. Um, My cousin, um, I think when I was like in middle school, she sent a letter to Lucasfilm and um, just asking if uh, George Lucas would sign a, uh, a letter to me. And uh, of course he, he couldn't. He, I'm sure he gets thousands of those kind of uh, requests. But they did, out of the kindness of their own heart, uh, send me uh, a photo of George Lucas and um, the uh, Sony camera they shot uh, Star Wars Episode Two with, actually. And what's kind of cool about that is, is that picture, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's not rare by any means, but that was right at the cusp of the digital revolution when it comes to motion pictures. Um, so that was that was a pretty cool moment to have captured by that. So let's see. So we made a handful of movies growing up. I guess the first was Asteroid, then Secret Agent Man, and then, well, Secret Agent Man 1, 2, and 3, and then The Campers and Vision. 
What which, which movie do you want to talk most about? Which do you think of all those movies that we made throughout our childhood was like the most impactful for you? I'm going to go ahead and assume Vision. Yeah, I mean, like overall impactful. Yeah, Vision, absolutely. But you actually missed one. Um, we made oh, a movie man. called We made a movie called Love Song. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Vision at, at the end of the day was the most important movie I made during that time, just because I I, I finally, for the most part, obviously with help from you and. Uh, Mr. Barber, Mr. Alan Barber, and, and, and the people who were involved, I finally kind of found my footing on what it meant to make a movie and how to do it fairly well. I mean, I, I actually rewatched it recently, and it, it, it doesn't hold <laughs> up like it to. But, uh, but still, like, I, I looking back, knowing what I know now, and looking back 10 years ago, yeah, that movie, like, I, I saw the patterns of who I wanted to become in that, and that was pretty cool. But, but if I had to pick one of those movies that I love the most, it's actually Love Song, because I, I just feel like that movie captured me in that moment uh, more than any other movies did. Like it just it just captured kind of my personality, my style, and my humor. And, and you know, I just don't feel like any of the other movies quite captured it. They captured bits of me, but that one really, um, I, I could I could sit down and watch that one over and over again. And that one definitely doesn't hold up. But I still <laughs> I still can so, sit down and watch that a lot. <clears throat> so, so tell us the plot of that one. Kind of give us a recap of of what exactly went down in in the good old fashioned love song movie. Sure, sure. So love song is about this. Um, mild manner office worker who's uh, trying to ask this uh, lovely new girl out on a date. And he's got um, two kind of villainous uh, co-workers who are always kind of uh, taking things from him. And uh, in fact, you played one of those guys, if you remember. You and Paul Hoff were those two characters. And so anyways, Paul Hoff's character uh, basically uh, gets to the girl before he does and asks her out on a date. And he just kind of feels all downtrodden. And so the whole time, the whole movie is kind of being narrated by music. Like you mentioned, we had some Beatles songs in there, just songs from the 1960s um, that um, just really captured each scene. I basically wrote these scenes to these uh, cues of music that I, I really loved uh, growing up. And of course, in the end of the movie, uh, the mild mannered guy does win. He does get the girl. The girl realizes that Paul Hoff's character is a jerk. And the movie ends happily. Um, and it was a reflection. It was definitely a reflection of me really liking a girl in high school who um, I had no chance with. And we never dated. I was just friends with. Um, but it just it just really captured that sense of of me longing to uh, have a relationship and, and how it could play out uh, in a movie. It is such a beautiful movie. And and uh, let's make a note of this. The mild-mannered man, Dallin Kelson. Is that right? Dallin Kelson? Down, yeah. So I don't know if you know this. I mean, you probably do, but he, back when he was going to Chipola College, he single-handedly beat Harvard's Brain Bowl team. So the dude, the dude was a good actor, and he was a brilliant man. I mean, I, he still is a brilliant man. I think I did hear about that. I think I did hear about. It. Yeah, very smart guy. Uh, very funny. He always. I mean, it's it's really comical because we not only did we make these movies, Trevor, but and actually you were behind a lot of this portion of it. But we would shoot um, behind the scenes footage as well. And um, when you go back and look at that behind the scenes, I'm a, I'm a terrible director. Like, like <laughs> I would basically say, OK, stand over there and then say this. Uh, uh, no, no, don't do it like that. You know, <laughs> like, you know I, I want to go and see. I just want to see you on a film set now and see how you actually interact with actors. Because I remember back during Asteroid, which was like the first kid movie we made in middle school is when this rock hit the world. And I remember your direction was stand there with your mouth open. Act scared. Great. <laughs> I remember that was it. I was like, OK. I will say this. I will say this, and this still holds true today. Is although I wasn't very good at communicating it, I did know what I wanted, and I would tell it to you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did. You did. You did a great job. All right. 
All right, Ben. So let's fast forward. You went to you went to North Carolina School of the Arts. You did four years there. Made what? Four student films there. Yeah, four that I'm proud of. I made one other one that I'm not very proud of. It just didn't turn out too hot. But uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 which one was that? Uh, it was called Mr. Consumer. I don't even know if I okay. showed it. Okay. I don't think I ever saw that one. Yeah. It was more of an exercise. It never. We never showed it in like any of our theaters because every year at the end of the year we show our our films in, in the theaters because uh, we had three really. Um, great theater chambers there that would show 35 millimeter prints down to mini DV tape. But um, yeah, it was just this exercise and I, I shot the movie. I mean, the movie is fine as it is it's a five minute little piece about this guy. Actually, I don't, I don't really remember what it's about. <laughs> it's um, it, it's about this guy who's just like really caught up in like social. Well, actually it wasn't even social media, but just like computers and technology. And one day there's a blackout and he doesn't know what to do. And, um, and the reason I don't like the movie that much is because um. Uh, it's just very cynical. It didn't have much heart to it. I, it was my first time trying to be really cynical with what I was saying. And I didn't like that about me. I didn't like that about the movie. I, I think everything I make, although I'm not necessarily looking to make sentimental movies, I, I, I am wanting them to always have a heart to them. And uh, and that one just didn't. So I, I, I rarely talk about it. And like I said, I don't even think I should. <laughs> it's the movie that shall not be mentioned. That's right. Um, That's, but not to say, I mean, the people who worked on it were great. There's this guy named Nick Carner who was in it. Uh, I love him to death. Uh, he's a local actor in North Carolina. He was in a couple of the projects that my friends and I did during that time. Um, but yeah, just like it was it was more of a flaw on me of not realizing what I wanted to do in a script and in, in, in that script. Let's talk about when you first moved out to Culver City, you started working in Hollywood, you started working for shows, a few movies. Tell me tell me about how the transition was to, all right, I have a degree in being a film director. Now I'm going to move out to the City of Angels and I'm going to make movies. I got to get my foot in the door. How did you do it? What was that first step you took? Uh, the first step was just getting here. And, and then the second step was just God intervening because, um, you know, I've told you this a lot. Um, the film industry is, is very unique. It doesn't matter. I could have 20 degrees on filmmaking and film theory. Wouldn't matter at all, to be quite honest. Um, I, I, I'm very glad I went to film school. I would always do that again because I learned the art and the logistics of the craft. And plus just got a general college education. Um, but when you step into the film industry, it truly is all about who you know and money. There, there, there are no other elements. And it just so happens that occasionally the people who know the right person happen to be talented and really make it. Um, and so, yeah, I got out here and I was excited. I was scared. I was nervous. Um, and I basically was here five months without a legitimate full-time job, trying to figure it out, trying to break in. Um, I'd already worked on a movie back in North Carolina with – Owen Wilson and Zach Galifianakis and got to really know the whole crew and they were all out here. And so when I came out, I contacted all of them. I was like, Hey, I'm here. You know, can you help me get a job? And you know, the thing is, is like they, they, they did, they ultimately ended up helping me do that, but it's, it's hard because it's, you know, they have to vouch for me and they have to push me to a movie or a TV show that has an opening and needs someone, you know? So, um, yeah, for five months, I just kind of, Picked up work where I could. I thankfully got a, a job with a, um, uh, on the weekends for an outdoor cinema um, exposition uh, here in L.A. called Street Food Cinema. Um, and uh, met a few people doing that. And then I was an intern over at Sony Pictures for Linda Opes Productions. Um, she would be most known to our generation as one of the producers of Interstellar. Um, which they were shooting at the time at Sony. So I actually got to see a little bit of that when they were shooting. Uh, 
I remember is, you talking about that. I was so jealous. Yeah, it was pretty darn cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so for five months, I was just really concerned I wasn't going to be able to get a job and make it out here. And then finally, one of my contacts from the film I did in North Carolina, um, uh, they told me, uh, hey, we, we got this friend who's looking for a PA. Do you want to do it? I'm like, yes, yes, please. And uh, it, ended up, it ended up being this show called You're the Worst for FX. And it was the pilot. Um, and I didn't know anything more about it than the title. And um, sure enough, that show, I think it's in its final season this year. So it's been going for five and a half years. But I, I only did the pilot. And then from that, um, and, and once again, it's, it's all about who you know. So I finally got to work on another show, got to meet more people. This coordinator I was working for was really great. And she brought me on to another show. And then, you know, once again, I just slowly but surely kept meeting more people and, and branching out. Um, and it's been it's been a roller coaster ride. Dude, now, I remember when I went out there to see you, you were job hunting and you were updating your resume. And I just remember seeing that resume. And I, at first glance, I was like, OK, he has experience, but not like his skill set. And I mean, I remember looking at it, it was like, oh, I worked on this show. Or I worked on that show. And just coming from, I mean, looking for a teaching job, I was talking about like, Oh, I've got this certification. I've done this. I've done that. Let me tell you about this. But and you told me that the industry out there, it's it's just about what you've done and who you know, and that's how you get the job. And that was just crazy to understand. That's it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I in fact, um, when I first came out here, all I had in my name was one PA job on this movie in North Carolina, and then the things I had directed at film school. And like, I, I mean, I'd also worked on other short films. And I had like the things I had directed and, and someone, I can't remember who it was, but someone in the business saw that and they're like, why do you have all the stuff you directed on there? I'm like, well, it's what I've done. They're like, no one cares. That makes sense. Why would they care? I'm not, I'm not trying to get a job directing. I'm trying to get a job. I'm just trying to get my foot in the door. Like you said, all it's about. Um, and, and I mean, I always joke that like, you know, I could be a chimpanzee and as long as I knew the right person, I'd get the job over anybody else. You know? like, yeah. Quick detour. I want you to give me a list. Um, give me 10 people, 10 famous people, directors, actors, musicians that you've seen while you've been in LA. Okay. 10. Um, all right. Well, obviously Steven Spielberg tops the list. Um, Chris Columbus, who, for those who don't know, directed home alone and Mrs. Doubtfire, Scarlett Johansson, Brad Pitt, Sandra Bullock, Tom Ford, Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, I guess you could count Adam Sandler because not only did I see him with you, Trev, that one time. <laughs> I remember that. I, I, I also I also worked uh, on the reshoots for Pixels, which was a, a, a movie he made uh, a couple years ago. But I, I wasn't really around him. I was more around Chris Columbus who directed that. So let's don't count him. So I still got two. Um, man, who else? Who else? Who else? Who did you see getting on the bus? Was that James Cameron? <laughs> so that's a funny story. I didn't get. To, I didn't see him. When, when I moved to L.A., I actually first came out with my entire graduating class from film school. We, our film school does this kind of tour of L.A. for a week. And then everyone else went home, but me and a couple of my buddies, we just stayed. We had an apartment. We'd already planned all this through. So we land in L.A., and they take us to Santa Monica Pier, to the promenade is what it's called out there. And um, they said, all right, you guys just go hang out and meet us back here in uh, an hour and a half. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, 30 minutes goes by. We're at the end of the pier, me and my, my good friend Darren Hummel, who you know. And we get a call from our teacher saying, guys, got to get back to the van right now, right now. We're leaving right now. And we're like, Whoa, okay, okay, okay. So we like go running down the pier back up to the promenade area. And we see our van come in the corner and like our, our teacher calls us. and He's like, look, I'm not stopping for you. Jump in the van. We're going to make this turn. <laughs> so we literally did that. Like, I mean, he stopped for a millisecond. Like he didn't actually like drive us. Like we didn't jump into a moving vehicle, but it was 
pretty much, pretty close. And we get in, and everybody just has their mouth wide open looking out the window, and we're, like, catching our breath. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? And they're like, did you just see who just passed? And we're like, no. And he's like, he was laughing at you guys. I'm like, who? He's like, James Cameron. <laughs> That's so, so cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that was. I wish. I mean, I wish I would have seen him. That would have been. That would have been great. Um, an, another person um, who I, I got to meet was Daniel Lupi. Most people wouldn't know who he is by name, but he's one of the mainline producers uh, that Spielberg's been working with in the past couple of years. Oh, okay. uh, Player One, Bridge of Spies. Um, he's doing West Side Story with them. Uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else I've really come in contact with. Oh, Damon Wayans is pretty funny. Um, that was, that was pretty wild. I got to meet him on the lethal weapon pilot and, um, I, I'm very proud. I don't even remember what I said, but I'm very proud. I, I got to talk to him and I said something funny and made him laugh. And that was like, you know, he that's a the, pretty big accomplishment. It really was. He did the homie, the clown laugh, the <laughs> thing, you know, he <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So yeah, I guess that'd be, the, that'd be 10. I, I definitely met more people, but th- I think those are always the ones that come to mind for me for sure. Okay. Th- those are good top 10. I've got and I'll get you to share these later, but you've got two stories that you have, and they're my absolute favorite. But, so, you've been in L.A. for how many years now? It seems like forever. Five and a half years. I'm, I'm closely, wow. May will be six for me, and it's, that's, that's quite a, it's weird. It's very Man, weird. You're old. <laughs> All right, so, you've made two movies while you're out there, right? The Man from Outer Space and your next one, which is... Night, night called Night and Today. Yeah, Night so and Today. That's what it is. I've okay. made two. I made two feature films and I've shot uh, two spec commercials. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, it, so t- and that I've directed. That I've directed. I've, I've worked on countless others. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about. Uh, tell me about Man or the Man from Outer Space. Tell me about how what how how that filming process was and then what you learned at the end of it. Sure. So I had been in L.A. for a year and a half, being out here, being a production assistant. So, well, first of all, let me say this. This is a very important thing about what I've really learned overall about being in this business is that, once again, unlike most businesses where you start at the bottom and you have the chance, it's not always likely, but you definitely usually have the chance of working your way all the way to the top. If you work hard or good to the people you're around and, and have a passion for what you do, not so much in the film business. Um, you, you, you don't, there, there's, I, for, I don't know why they didn't correct this with me in film school. This is the one thing I would say film school did not clearly sit me down and tell me, but you cannot work your way up to being a film director. You either are or you're not. There is no work your way up to it. I mean, you can eventually maybe be an assistant director for 20 or 30 years and maybe someone will give you a chance to be a director. Like I met this guy who's in his sixties. He's been ADing since he was my age and younger and he just recently got to direct, you know, or you might be a director of photography and and do that for decades. And then maybe someone will give you the opportunity to direct, but there is no, you know, it's, it's just, um, there is no path to it. Um, and I thought when I first got out here, I thought there was, I thought I could get on a show, work my way up, you know, impress the people need to impress. And, you know, within 10, 15 years, you know, be directing a, um, uh, a major motion picture or at least a, a studio picture of some sort. Um, and I just, I quickly realized that was just not the case. Like when you enter into a department, you, you are that department. They don't look at you any way, any other way. Um, so I had been talking to other people who had been doing a similar path to me. Um, and they're much older than I was. And they, uh, they told me like, you know what, Ben, you know, you got to go and make your own feature. Like, like if, if you want to really go after this, no one else, no one's going to give you the opportunity that you're looking for in the route you're going or any route. 
He's like, you, you've got to impress otherwise. So I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And, and when I left college, I had decided I was going to make something within two years of, of moving out. So I was like, well, it's, it's clearly more important now than ever. So um, I, uh, yeah, so a year and a half in, I started trying to figure out what I could write on, on a small budget. And basically, I came to the conclusion that the best thing to do is to do two stories that I've already done before, but combine them. That was, I mean, ultimately the the structure of of Man from Our Space is very similar to Vision. Um, it's about this father who is ignoring his family because of work. So I just kind of took that and I was like, let me make this better. Let me massage this. Let me make this more, you know, more depth to it, more meaning. Um, and then I took kind of more of this adventurous thriller aspect from a short film I did in college uh, called The Man from Outer Space, which was about an astronaut who crash lands on earth. And I was like, let me just take both of these and make a story within a story about this guy. Who's a screenwriter. Um, who's not paying attention to his family. Cause he's trying to be successful. He's trying to make it in Hollywood. And he starts imagining himself in this story that he's writing, which is about this astronaut. Um, so that was the conceit of, and I was like, well, I know I can do this because I've essentially done this before. I'm just taking it to a different level and I'm combining it. Um, so I wrote the script and I slowly started trying to pitch it to people to try to get money. And of course, it took. Uh, it actually, I, actually, in hindsight, I, I was able to pull the money together pretty fast. But it, it was painful in the moment because I just, at first, I thought I was going to need a hundred thousand dollars, and I was like, well, I can do it for eighty. And then I was like, well, I can do it for fifty. And then I was like, well, maybe I can do it for forty. And we ended up shooting the movie on twenty-three thousand okay, dollars, uh, okay. which is very low for a, for a seventy-five minute feature film. Um, and, um, yeah, so, uh, I just slowly pulled the money together. I kept working production during the day and at night and on the weekends, I'd work on my, my, my project. And, um, by the end of 2015, you know, through family and friends, uh, I was able to cobble together that 23,000 and I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And we <laughs> shot it, we shot it, um, in February, 2016 over 14 days. And you did it, man, and it was pretty darn good. It was it's on it's still on Amazon, right? It is. It's on Amazon. Um, I, it looks like it might get to go to Redbox kiosks across the nation here in a couple months. Um, I'm I'm waiting to hear if that's so. Um, but yeah, it's on Amazon. It's on Vudu. Um, yeah, it's it's out there. It's out there. All right. So looking back, what were some key things you learned from making that movie that you took into Night and Today? Um, no pressure. Yeah. The key things I think for me are, I, I really realize, I mean, I've always been a very logistical person. I think one of the things I, I like to boast about, if you will, is, <laughs> is that I, I am both creative and logistical, like not, not one aspect of how I think overweighs the other aspect. Like if, if I'm coming up with this crazy creative idea, I'm going to have the logistics to back it up. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to like a lot of directors uh, that I've worked for and met. They're just they just make up crap and they have no idea how they're going to do it. And then it, it, it turns out that a lot of people work very hard, too hard to make something that hasn't been really thought through. So I, I really thought through the man from our space and all my planning and it went pretty darn well. I mean, considering how short of a time period we had. Um, but there was one scene. It was the biggest scene in the movie. Seven pages. We were on an exterior set. I had all my actors in the scene. It was such a big scene that I could not truly visualize it. 
Like everything else I'd ever made, I'd always was able to visualize it. But this scene was just so complex with how much dialogue there was, how much movement there was, just a lot needed to happen. So I was like, well, I've got the rest of the movie figured out. I'll know how to do this when I get to the day. So I, we got to set that day, and it just it was a disaster. I, in fact, I didn't get all my shots, and thankfully we were able to work around it in the editing room. But like I just I, I was really got through that that scene by the skin of my teeth, and I think that was the biggest lesson. I was like, never again. Every scene I do, I need to know exactly what I'm doing when I go in there because whenever you go in to direct a scene, things are always going to change, no matter how much you've planned it. And if you come in with you know, very little plans, even though you think you've got it or you think all the other scenes make sense. So this one will at some point, that's just, that's not good enough. Um, because you, you get in there and you, you waste your own time, you waste your crew's time, you lose their trust. Um, so, uh, so that was a big thing for me on this movie. I was like, you know, everything I do, I, I just, I really have to know without a shadow of a doubt why and how I'm doing it. And if things change, that's fine, but I have to go in with the plan and, 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 and just, um, be certain that that plan is for a purpose, you know? Yeah, no, I can understand. Now, what about, what about night and today? You're, you're currently working on that. You just finished filming on it. Is that correct? Yeah. Back in December. Uh huh. Nice. So what are you, are you super excited about this one? I am. Yeah. I, I um, I, I think it's going to be a really good film. Yeah. I, I, I'm very excited about it. It's a, a darker movie for me. Uh, man from our space was, was very lighthearted. It had depth, but it was very lighthearted. Um, this one's a, a disaster thriller, and um, uh, it's funny. I haven't talked to a lot of people about it back home since all of you guys have just gone through Hurricane Michael. It was kind of a uh, a weird thing to be prepping this movie because literally, uh, what Michael hit on October 10th? Is that right, Trevor? Yeah, yeah. Because I I had I was on a show called Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and uh, I'd been on that for eight months as their assistant coordinator. And I was leaving the show on October 18th to go and um, prep my movie for a month and a half before shooting it. And so I was geared up to do that. And then Hurricane Michael hit. And, you know, you and, and our friends and my parents literally were going through a disaster, uh, you know. And um, mm -hmm. it felt really weird going in to make a fictional disaster film that was dark and heavy and um, just dealing with um, some – uh, just like issues that were our society is facing and, and also issues that I think a lot of just couples are facing. It's the movies a lot about is, is very much about commitment and um, it's, it revolves around a, a um, couple that are in the middle of a divorce and a nuclear um, attack happens and they're uh, the two people trying to get away from each other are now stuck together. So it was kind of a dark, heavy movie. And then of course this happens and I'm, you know, thousands of miles away and, it just felt weird, you know, it felt weird making, making the movie. And, um, but then as I was going along in prep, it really came clear to me. I was like, well, you know, this is now going to really connect with a lot of the people I know, um, you know, and, 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 and hopefully it will be something that's, you know, not, um, disrespectful, but, uh, you know, kind of, it's just something you can connect with and understand what major loss means and, and, and what, um, and how important, you know, life is and how important our society is to each other. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. And I can't wait to see it. I remember um, we had just gotten back from being evacuated. It was like our first day in here and I called you and we were talking and you were like, dude, I feel bad for making this movie because y'all are going through this hurricane and all this jazz. And I was like, dude, no. I mean, it's important that stories like this, whether they're nonfiction or fiction, get told because I mean... I don't know. It was just the weirdest thing because you see this stuff happen on the news. 
But then it happens to you, and you're like, oh my gosh, can't believe that I, we just pass off this stuff that we saw in the news, and now it happens to us. Absolutely, yeah. And, and then, not to mention, um, the, the Malibu fires um, were happening just two weeks before we shot the movie. And in fact, there's a location in our film that um, you, you won't see it on camera, but just to the right, it's completely charred and burned. We almost lost the location. We, we didn't think the permitting office was going to let us go there, but but thankfully it all had subsided. But yeah, so it was, it, it is, it's weird, you know, it, it, and, and it's, um, it's a sign of our times, you know, uh, just these disasters, you know, they're, um, they're bad. And, and like, we, we, we've got to really work as a society to try to make sure that we're doing all we can to, you know, um, like you said, be there for our fellow man and, and prepare for prepare better for these disasters all across the country and all across the world. Let's move into happier territory. All right. So I asked you earlier who the top 10 people you met. Now you've got two stories that are my absolute favorite. First, I want you to tell the story of your interaction with Jake Gyllenhaal. This is my, one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Jake's a really nice guy, first of all. I want to just throw that out there. But we all know he he picks some very strange characters to play. And um, one of the films he did in the last couple of years was called Nightcrawler. For those of you who haven't seen it, I won't spoil it, but um, he plays a really sketchy dude. And, like, his signature thing in that movie is his eyes are just really, just, like, very just gaping open all the time. Like, he just, that's how he plays the character. Like, he physically keeps his eyes as big and wide as possible. And I foolishly uh i was working on a movie called nocturnal animals with jake and the day before i met him i decided to watch nightcrawler that was a huge mistake <laughs> um because once again jake was playing kind of a um uh if you haven't seen nocturnal animals he he's playing uh, actually he's not playing a scary character in nocturnal animals but definitely it's a very intense character so the, the day i met him uh he and tom ford and a couple of the other actors were having um rehearsals at the studio we were working at and um they had asked me just to kind of be there to assist with anything which was super cool i had, I had a blast that day <laughs> when i met jake he uh it was so funny he was he asked me to he was like hey how's it going i was like hey pretty good and, and then um he asked me to do something for him but he stared me right in the eyes and i had just watched this movie okay and and i don't i think had i not watched the movie it wouldn't have been a big deal but his eyes just got his, his eyes just got really wide he's like hey ben can you please make sure you do this right now for me it's my car's over here and like just, just the way he did it was just so scary <laughs> Because it, it's like, you know, I'm just the whole time I'm thinking this is the guy from Nightcrawler, you know, and um, <laughs> and of course he didn't mean it that way. But it was just so funny. He's just he's just a very um, he's just a very devoted and intense person. And I mean that in the best way possible. Um, but it was just uh, it was just so funny how, um, you know, characters uh, that he's played can really like um, uh, imprint on you and kind of imprint, you know, uh, on that person. <laughs> So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's such a good actor, but I remember you called me. You're like, dude, I just had a run in with Jake Gyllenhaal, and it was kind of interesting. I was like, oh man, do tell. That was so great. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But no, he's a really nice guy. He was he was always nice to me and and, and everyone I know on the set. And no one had problems with him. Um, but yeah, he was just yeah, he just like I said, just just because I watched that movie, it just it just like freaked me out because he's just like staring into my soul, telling me. <laughs> You know, put this in his car real fast for him. <laughs> just absolute perfect timing that you watched yeah. that the day before. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, no. now, now the last story. This is with the granddaddy of them all, your absolute favorite person in the world. We have been, both of us, to his mom's restaurant, and it was absolutely phenomenal, and we met his mom, and that was the coolest time ever. And I want you to tell us about the time you met your idol, Steven Spielberg. Sure, yeah. Steven is pretty much uh, second only to Jesus. This is correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is very factual. I can attest to that. <laughs> um, yeah, um, Steven's uh, mother, um, who passed away two years ago, unfortunately. Oh, but, no. Yeah, oh. I, I didn't tell you that. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Oh, it's, man. It's, I mean, look, she was 97 years old. She had lived an incredible life. You know, oh, absolutely. Got to nourish one of the best filmmakers ever, um, you know, and, and she has uh, three other daughters who um, two of them are filmmakers themselves. They do a lot of documentary work. And actually, I didn't know this until I met um, uh, Miss Adler, but uh, one of her daughters uh, wrote the movie Big with um, Tom Hanks. Oh, wow. So that's that's cool. cool. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyways, um, long story short, uh, she owned a, a restaurant here in L.A., very small place. Not many people but the locals knew about it, uh, just south of Beverly Hills. And um, one day when I was um, really down, it was those first five months that I was out here, I was really down and just just upset at just how hard things were. I just started looking up my hero and just reading about my hero because reading about Spielberg just always brightens my day because he, he really is a master filmmaker. And I stumbled over this article saying that both of his parents were still alive. And I'm like, good grief. They must be in their 90s. And, and they are. <laughs> um, in fact, his father, uh, who I, I I did actually meet briefly, um, he's 102 now. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, it's incredible. So I, But this was five years ago. I'm like, man, his parents are still alive? Because, you know, Spielberg's no spring chicken anymore. And um, so I read this article, and they're like, yeah, she's got a restaurant in town. I'm like, I'm going there tomorrow. So <laughs> I like left, uh, you know, the next day for lunch and went, got to meet her. It was so cool. And, and then pretty much at least, you know, every other week, you know, I would go by for like a Sunday afternoon lunch. It was like my treat for myself. And as the months went on, I finally got work on movies, which was, you know, definitely helping my morale and, and just stopping by there every once in a while was just like, you know, another thing to kind of encourage me because her restaurant was just so cool. It's, got you know movie posters from all steven's uh, films just like you know family photos it's just super cool place and really good food um well anyways uh yeah and then one day i um i'd actually been having a pretty rough day i don't remember why but i was having a pretty rough day and i walked in there to get lunch and um i see miss adler sitting at her table and there's this guy sitting in front of her and he's wearing this hat and he's got a jacket on and i'm like oh that's Steven Spielberg. And <laughs> so I go sit down. I'm shaking at this point. And uh, I order my food. And I have to go to the bathroom. So I'm like, well, all right. I'm just going to hop up and go to the bathroom real quick. And, and I get up. I go to the restroom. I walk right by Steven and, and his mother, Miss Adler. And I'm like, don't be weird. Don't be weird. This is this, it's, it's incredibly inappropriate. Just you're here to eat lunch, you know. So I go to the restroom, I, I come back out, and, and, and Miss Adler sees me, and she looks at me and smiles for a minute. I just kind of say, hey, and, and then Steven looks up at me, and I'm like, well, shoot, this is, if I'm going to do this, this is the moment. So I'm like, uh, you know, I say to Miss Adler, how are you doing? She's like, I'm doing really well. And I look over at Steven, and I say, hi, Mr. Spielberg, my name's Ben Hall. And he's with a smile, just said, hey, Ben, it's so nice to meet you. 
And that was pretty much it. And um, and I said, you know, have a lovely day. And I went and ate my lunch and uh, Spielberg hung around for about another 15 minutes or so and then and rolled out. Um, and, and then funny enough, I, I did, uh, I've seen him two or three other times now. Um, uh, when I would go to the restaurant, he would be there. And But that was really the only time I got to talk to him in person. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a really cool moment for me just to get to meet someone who has just really defined what it means to be a filmmaker. Um, that was that was really cool. Man, that's so cool. I remember when we went there, he had just been there, like right because they said, "Oh, you just missed him" or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because because I mean, you know, the, the staff there at the restaurant, since I was there often, they they knew me and they knew I was a filmmaker. So anytime Stephen was there, they always were. Because I mean, like you know, they, they they had you know people on guard there because you know he's a high profile guy and oh yeah, you could tell. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah but they <laughs> they were always so kind to me and 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 they were always so supportive. And yeah, but yeah, actually about a year ago, the, the restaurant closed down for renovations and I was kind of getting concerned that it wasn't coming back. Um, but I, I just saw an announcement um, last week that uh, the restaurant is opening back up um, next week, actually. Oh, and nice. they have done a major renovation and they're going to um, you know, keep it going as kind of a, a legacy for her. So, but yeah, Miss Adler was just a very, very sweet person. Um, you can tell Stephen gets his spunkiness his weirdness um and i mean that in the best way possible from her she was just such a lively person and just you know you could tell she was always thinking always had something funny to say very creative um and uh yeah she was just always very very generous and nice to me and so i, I just I, I definitely miss her quite a bit uh well ben as always it's been an absolute pleasure if if people want to learn more about about your movie um, the Man from Outer Space, and even Night and Today when it comes out, where where should they look for that at? You know, I'm, I'm actually uh, I need to talk to you about this because I feel like you've become the master of this. But I, I am working on <laughs> a, a website uh, for for my work um, right now. Um, the best way to follow Night and Today, which is the film we're doing right now, is via Instagram. Um, it's at night n i g h t n i n, and then the number two. And the word day, D-A-Y, at night and today. Um, and then uh, The Man From Our Space, uh, what I could encourage is go to Amazon and, and uh, check it out. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can also get it on redbox.com streaming. Um, and uh, uh, I hope to be making an announcement via Instagram or Facebook about the um, Redbox kiosks throughout the country. Um, but yeah, right now I think that's the best way. Um, you can find my information on IMDb. Um, I've got my stuff there and, uh, yeah, you yeah. do. I'd check that IMDb page weekly to make sure you keep it updated. <laughs> Very good. I think the only thing that's not on there right now is the new season of Cosmos. Um, I'm just, I'm just waiting for them to actually create an IMDb page for it. So, oh, there you go. I, man, I remember whenever it was right after Man from Outer Space went on Amazon, there was like 10, 12, 15 reviews or something like that. And one of the reviews was like, four stars but the guy was like it was okay and you know i've never wanted to punch somebody through the internet but at that time i was like i want to punch you because it was a perfect film sure yeah yeah (laughs) it is is funny you know like you know when you release something like that you are especially in today's time like you know susceptible to all kinds of you know comments oh yeah absolutely um, i uh yeah um there was there's quite a few that were very sweet actually there's there's um the film is uh, the film is in worldwide distribution. It, it hasn't made it to all countries yet, but it, it is out there. And, and it sounds like uh, the UK has been able to um, 
they distribute in the UK at this point. And actually, uh, on YouTube, there's this uh, review uh, that this young lady did, and, and it was marvelous. It was so sweet, and she I, I don't think anyone besides myself has described the movie as well as she did. Um, <laughs> so, great. yeah. So with all the, you know, yeah, there's definitely some goofy folks out there saying mean things. With all with all that to say, there's always those people who say something meaningful, and that's really sweet. So Oh, that's awesome, dude. Dude, I follow your Instagram. I mean, the movie's Instagram is fantastic. Sadie actually just got here, and she's like, "Oh, are you talking to Ben?" That's our that's, that's our puppy. Just FYI. Um, well, Ben, dude, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Farm Traveler, even though we just got a little look at the film industry. Always yeah. a pl- pleasure, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, for everything you do, and just I'm I'm always being educated by you about you know food and what we eat and how we how it's uh, grown and and where it's coming from, and um, I'm so glad to see the success of this site and all that you're doing with it. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. We'll see you later. See ya. Bye bye. Hey everyone, we're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films, download the app, and watch and listen anywhere.